you're listening to the Remorseless Podcast. Hey guys, what's up? It's Beth. Welcome to episode number 44. Double fours this week. So sometimes on here, I know we tackle some pretty heavy topics because that's just life, right? And some of the folks that come my way from their agents for us to spend time with that I can interview and learn their stories about and with them as they share them, uh, you know, it's difficult, right? And I go back and think, wow, is this really uplifting to you, the listener? But yet, I know you know folks who have gone through everything that we talk about in the show. Perhaps it's even you. It's hard not to. It's hard not to be, uh, oh, I guess, exposed to this or know about this, whether it's cancer, divorce, sexual assault, sexual abuse, pornography, like go on with the list, right? Again, not super uplifting. However, I'm a realist, you guys. Like this is... This is what this whole thing of life is about, knowing how to persevere amidst things that go wrong, amidst all the things that we never saw coming. And the question is not, why does this stuff happen? The question is, if and when it does, what do you do with it? Do you learn from it? Do you pick yourself back up? Do you get stuck? Do you go through grief? The answer, hopefully, is yes to all of those, because that, my friends, is the whole story of transformation and growth and what we are here in a very short amount of time, comparatively, right, compared to eternity, for a very short amount of time to prepare us to become more Christ-like. So that is truly what I believe. And on this episode, again, it's not one of the most, um, well, it's just not the easiest topic to talk about. But yet I, I will tell you, after 48 years on this planet, there aren't many women, myself included, that I don't know that's gone through this. And so it's hard for me to listen to, but yet I found it imperative to share with you. So Cindy Arvalo uh, shares her story on this on this episode. It was a very public story. She lives in California from the time she was age 14 until the time she was, I want to say about 19 or so, she was sexually abused and groomed by one of her substitute teachers. And it's the classic story of when girls don't feel seen and heard and valued by usually a father figure. This is what happens. And I hate it. I hate it for all of us that have gone through it. I hate it for Cindy, but I am also thankful to have gone through it in a weird way so that I can say to, I did say to my daughter when I raised her, hey, this is what you need to look out for. And as Cindy shares with us, this is what I learned. So thank you as always for being here. I am so uh, excited to be able to use this platform to talk about difficult things and to hopefully encourage you to say, you know what, I'm not alone on this journey. And yes, there is a God. And yes, Jesus died so that I can actually have eternal life and get through all this stuff. So you guys, thanks again. Let's settle in and um, listen to Cindy share her story. Okay, I'll see you guys next week. Here we go. Episode 44. Hey guys, it's Beth. I have a very special interview for you coming up on this week's episode. Thank you as always for being here on Remorselessly Biblical. You guys, I love people. I know you love people. I know we love people. I know we love hearing about their stories and their journeys and who Jesus is to them, has always been to them, or maybe has not always been to them. And in this case, Cindy Arvalo has a very public story. She lives in California. Cindy um, is a mom of three girls today. But when she was 14, she began to be sexually abused by a substitute teacher from age 14 to age 19. This man who was much older than she, Cindy was 14. He told her that he was in his 30s when actually he was in his 40s. Began to groom her and isolate her and show her love and affection that she did not feel 
in her family growing up, which is the story of so many of us, especially from a female journey perspective, whereby we just want to be loved and seen and heard and valued by a, an, uh, not authority, but a, a person in our life who sees us and values us and hears us. And oftentimes from a female perspective, it's a fatherly figure. Cindy shares on the story on our, on her, um, journey with us and her time with us that her father didn't necessarily have the tools to show her the things that she needed to be shown. But yet the substitute teacher pretended to have them in a very authentic way, which turned out to be a very abusive way. So Cindy has since shown up, shared her story, and is now the author of Living in Silence, Finding My Voice, Claiming My Freedom, which is released on November 16th of this year. So you guys, will you please do me the privilege of welcoming Cindy Arvalo to the show. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Remorselessly Biblical. This is such an important topic and I am, I've been waiting to meet you in person. So I'm just grateful that you're here. Thank you, Beth. Thank you for having me on. First of all, um, I feel honored to be here and I'm excited to share my journey with everybody on here. Yes. Thank you. And as we were just talking, I am, you know, as a, a woman in the world, I cannot uh, overstate the importance of your message and your journey. And you know, we're, I think living in such a time that we hear frequently that it's so important to share our stories with other people so they don't feel alone. And for many years, at least in my experience, we haven't done a good job of that. And so every single time I am blessed to be in company of somebody who has just basically, um, you know, the, the ability and the wherewithal and the courage to show up and do it. I'm I'm just like every single time. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. So yeah, a big thank you to you. And, um, for those of you viewers and listeners who don't know, Cindy is about to tell us a little bit about her journey of uh, a story of sexual abuse that happened throughout her lifetime and what has unfolded for her since then. Cindy is the mother of three children. She was talking about girls and just like a quote, regular life with a circumstance you know, that, um, has informed your life. So with all that said, if you could just maybe tell us a little bit about, um, your book is called living in silence and how did you become silent? Cindy, that's the question I would love to, to lead with. Okay. So first of all, it started off when I was 14 up until the age of 19, I was being abused and molested by a former substitute teacher of mine. And the reason why I lived in silence for so long was because I was so embarrassed, I was so ashamed, I was afraid to speak up about what was happening to me. But more than anything, I blamed myself. I thought this is all my fault. I brought this upon myself and these are my consequences for it. So I was embarrassed to come forward and to tell somebody this is what's happening to me because I didn't feel safe. I didn't have a safe space, whether it was at home with my parents or whether it was, it was with a friend or a counselor from school. I didn't feel safe speaking to anybody about my situation. So I lived in fear and anxiety and in silence for many years 
holding that secret in, which later on that secret ended up consuming me. Wow. Well, I read a, a bit about um, in the first chapter of your book, and I read the intro. And one of the things I want to share with our viewers and listeners too is um, what this says in your introduction. It really immediately when I read it, I thought I I understand from my perspective, and I couldn't stop reading because you said I don't really know how to start telling my story. That's what you just said. You felt ashamed, and you felt like as it as if it were your fault. You said, I mean, obviously I can give you a chronological series of events, but telling you my story in a way that you will hear what I have to say, telling my story in such a way that you won't write me off as some sort of delinquent, a problem child, or someone who was asking for it. So again, taking the onus on as this is my fault, or at the very least telling my story so that you won't write off what happened to me because of my dysfunctional family situation. Well, that's a harder thing to figure out when survivors of sexual assault or rape share that their stories, especially when the attacks are repeated by the same perpetrator, people often seem unwilling to listen. Our stories of resilience, courage in the face of evil, and taking back control of our lives and bodies are overshadowed by harmful assumptions shaped by pernicious societal biases meant to discredit us or diminish the responsibility of our abuser. Isn't that so much, especially as women, what we have been taught that um, somehow we were asking for it, somehow this was our fault. And so that in and of itself silences us because we feel shame and guilt. And as if somehow the abuse that was perpetrated upon us was our fault. So at what point in your journey, Cindy, did you start to say, this isn't my fault? I didn't cause this. I would honestly say that it took me years to Mm. admit that it wasn't my fault and that I didn't bring this upon myself. It actually took therapy for me to realize that. And it took a couple of sessions because I did not want to understand that right away. I would always give my therapist a reason why I thought this is my fault and this is, you know, my my shame this is my guilt this is what I did this I did this to myself if I had not probably spoken to him if I had not gone along with him none of this would have happened so it took years of therapy for me to realize that I was groomed that I was manipulated that I was taken advantage of emotionally before I began into turning something physical so I would say that it was therapy to help me realize it and confront it to move on and come forward. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you said the word groom, and that's exactly what I picked up from your story from reading the book as well, is that um, you grew up in a family that uh, was loving, but yet perhaps you didn't feel seen and heard and valued right in a way that when you went out into the world, in this case to school, um, somebody stepped in and sort of filled that role, specifically a fatherly role. Is that kind of how it started? Yes. Yeah, so at home growing up, I can see why my parents were the way they were. And when it came to raising me, they had hard backgrounds on themselves in their childhood. Um, so I don't think they had the adequate tools to show me the love and the comfort that I desired personally. Um, So I did start seeing my abuser in a sense as a fatherly role, as a friend also, somebody that I could talk to, that I could trust, somebody that 
I thought was interested in getting to know me personally because he was interested in me as a person, that he thought I was something good. Because growing up, I didn't feel like I ever did something right for my family. I felt either like a problem child or like if I would upset them, even if it was by wearing a spaghetti strap shirt, I would feel shame by wearing one because I would feel naked. In other, in other words, that's what I was told. It was I was naked if I wore a spaghetti strap shirt. So I would feel very insecure, very self-conscious. I didn't grow up hearing, you know, you're beautiful, you're loved. It was the contrary. It was you're ugly, you know, your sister is this, your cousin is this. And it was always a comparison. So when I felt seen and heard by my abuser, it was a whole other reaction than what I was used to at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand this on such a deep level. I know a lot of our viewers and listeners will as well. You know, as females, that's, well, you know, as humans, I should say, we all want to be seen and heard and valued and sort of just um, unconditionally loved for who we are, not for how we dress, not for how we look, not for how we think, just for being simply us. And that is, as we know, each of us made in God's image, the story and the journey of what it actually is all about. But yet when I heard you say this to your parents, you understand now with the, the gift of time and experience in retrospect that they did the best they could in raising you because they too had their own biases and hurts perhaps in the way that they were raised. I mean, this is a generational thing that each of us face. And um, even today, my mom is in her you know seventies and she will say things to me like, you know, honey, I did the best I could do with what I knew that really lands for me because I too, as a mom of a 24 year old and you as a mom of three younger girls, we're doing the best we can do with the tools that we have been given. And oftentimes none of us have given, have been given any toolbox whatsoever. It's like, wow, I'm a mom. I know I love this person. I don't know how to necessarily show them love in the way that they will receive it well with what they truly need. You're kind of giving something and imparting something based on what you were given, which was probably not exactly right either. So it's this systemic and generational situation. So, you know, it's like, I think in a situation where people have been hurt, the first place we want to go is blame. Like, why is this happening to me? Did you ever feel as you were in the middle of it, once you knew that this was not okay and was not right, did you ever feel like, um, it should have been, or you wished it were the fault of somebody other than your own. Did you ever start to blame your perpetrator or your family in the midst of it? Or was it not until years later? So in the midst of it, um, I would say that I started blaming aside from myself, my mother. Um, Mm -hmm. and I speak about that in my book where she was aware of him. She just was not aware about the abuse. So I do blame my mother during that time frame, and also the abuser and recognizing that it was more than an abuse, then it became an obsession. It became something of power to him where it was, I don't want to be your friend. I want you all to myself. I don't want to let go of you. I can't lose you. You're going to be with me regardless of the situation type of thing. It's I'm always going to be here. I'm never leaving you. So it seemed like he was never going to be out of my life at that time frame. So I do remember going through the motions and 
blaming myself first, then my mother, and then blaming him. Yeah. Yeah. And you were 14 at the time when it started. How old was he, Cindy? I was 14 at the time. To be quite honest with you, I wouldn't know what age he was then. I do remember asking him when I was 14 how old he was. He mentioned he was in his 30s, but he was actually already in his 40s. Wow. Okay. Wow. 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 And so you were in eighth grade. Is that right? Yes. I was in eighth grade at the time. Gotcha. Yeah. And so I, you know, this is just more of a, I guess, um, detailed slash logistical question, but as I read your book, what was going through my mind was obviously this was a very public unraveling and so forth, but, um, you're able to obviously name him in the book, which you do. And is that just all, you know, I don't want to say, okay, but I mean, were there any legal ramifications or were you just, are you able now to just completely talk freely about him as a specific individual who caused this harm in your life? Yes. So I'm able to talk about him um, legally. Um, My case was public. um, So we can speak about him legally. And I do believe that people should be aware of who he is as a person, just because he did work in multiple schools a couple of years ago. And you never know, more, more students might come forward. Maybe they're just embarrassed and they're ashamed, or maybe they don't think they're going to be believed. Um, but I want them to know that they are not alone, that there's people out there that believe them. there's a community out there that can help, that there is hope out there, that they don't have to live in silence anymore. They don't have to live in fear anymore. They can come up and speak freely if they feel safe and get the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know this part of your story, but is he, um, has, was he prosecuted or where is this individual now? So he was prosecuted. He did do some time. Um, To be quite honest with you, he didn't do enough time. I would say not even the time that he abused me. Um, To my awareness, he is now free. He already did his sentence and he's somewhere out there living his life. Okay. And clearly knows that you've, I would imagine that you've written this book and there's been no sort of um, effort to communicate with you. Is that all just you're living your life, obviously moving forward as a mom. And so as if um, you remember this, but you're not in any sort of fear going forward. Is that right? Yeah. So going forward, I'm not in fear. I, I don't know if he does know or not about the book, um, but I'm just speaking my truth. I'm telling my story. I'm no longer ashamed of what happened to me by who it happened to me to. I'm just coming forward and speaking my truth with people. I want people to know that there's just hope out there. I want to be that, that hope for somebody. Absolutely. And as we talked about, this is so much more prevalent than anybody wants to talk about. And I think sometimes, um, things that seem difficult, more difficult than, than other things, which really it's almost as if the societal weight has been put on sort of things that are taboo to talk about versus things that are more okay to talk about. Um, you know, it's as if society has said, well, we don't want to talk about this. So we're going to sweep it all under the rug as if it never happened. And the thing about sexual assault is it happens so much more frequently than any of us have actually felt okay enough to give our voices to. So it's just a, a profound sense of courage and um, it's time, you know, like you said, it's time that you are stating your truth because somebody will read the story and say, yeah, me too. 
absolutely this happened to me and I am no longer afraid and I'm going to speak up and do it. And one of the things that I know I remember reading about you as well is that you are a person of incredible faith and you say that, you know, Jesus has really sort of shaped your life. Were you growing up? Did you have faith as a young girl? And did you um, lean on that faith as this abuse was happening to you? So growing up, I'm going to be honest, I did not have a relationship with Jesus yet. I knew who he was. I was aware of him, but I didn't have any connection with him. And if anything, I felt further away from faith then. I was more ashamed than anything to even ask God for help, to to even ask him to even look upon me because I felt so full of sin and hate and so much like such a heavy burden upon me. How I found him was actually literally, I can say about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So in the process of writing this book, I noticed that it was something so liberating, so beautiful, difficult, but rewarding more than anything freeing, seeing how the Lord has been so good that even when I thought at the time that I was alone, that everything couldn't have gotten worse than what it was. He actually was there with me the whole time. He had a plan already. He had the people there already. He laid out the people that I would need to come into my life for me to come forward. The people that I would need to get the therapy that I needed, the help, the legal justice that I needed. And it's beautiful to see that as broken as I was, as embarrassed, as shameful, as suicidal, as depressed as I was, I didn't have to change anything at the moment. He wanted me as I was as the whole. And he restored me. He renewed me. I can genuinely say that he has made a new creation in me. And it's beautiful that we serve such a wonderful, loving God. Wow. Wow. I love that. And what you just explained so beautifully is that oftentimes we find him in our lowest points in our most hurtful times. And it's, it's then that we see he was always with us, as you said. And even when you're going through it, you don't feel that you feel alone. You feel shame. You feel guilt. You feel hurt. You feel abandoned. You feel all of the really horrible things that are feeling like they're consuming us in those moments. And so it's often when you're on the other side of it, like in your case that you say, now I can see that the Lord was always with me throughout all of this. And he is shaping your story and never forsake you and never left you and is bringing about justice and peace in your life. And, you know, what was it like? How long have you been married, Cindy? Let me ask that question. I've been married for five years, but I've been with him for 15 years. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> we are high school sweethearts. Oh, you said high school sweethearts? Yes. Oh my goodness. So. Okay. So timeline wise, were you still being abused at the time that you and your now husband were together? Yes. So during that whole time frame, I was being abused and my husband now then boyfriend had no idea. He was, he had no idea about it. And one of the things that also kept me silent was that my abuser used to tell me that if I didn't break up with my boyfriend, then that he would tell him about us. Mm. And he, he used to tell me once he knows about us, he's not going to want to be with you. He's going to think that you betrayed him, that you lied to him, that you cheated on him with me, because that's what you did. You are two timing me with him. 
And I used to stay silent even more out of fear because I love him so much that I didn't want to lose him. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ultimate definition of manipulation. <laughs> yeah. And your husband obviously seems like an amazing person. So how long did it take for you to uh, let him know, let him in on what was happening with you? So I would say it took about probably about 11 years or 12. So it was like a year or two after I lost contact with my abuser that I spoke up and told him about it. What was his reaction? How did he respond? He was in shock. Um, you know, I don't blame him. He, he had a lot of mixed emotions. Um, more of why didn't you say something? You know, we could have done something sooner. This could have been preventable. You know, I could have helped you. A lot of mixed emotions, uh, as in, were you cheating on me with him? You know, why didn't, why didn't you tell me? It was more of just a lot of questions that he had. Why couldn't I bring it up to him when it could have been preventable? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, once you shared this more with him, did he, I imagine, go through stages of grief a little bit, like anger and then denial? And so were you guys just sort of mourning this season, long season of life together? And would you say that he's kind of the person that really helped you continue to get through this and heal from it? Yes, definitely. I can say that it hasn't been easy for sure. Um, makes me emotional actually, but I could say that he's been my backbone. And that's another thing that I, I do mention in my book that even then when I thought that I was alone and I was at my lowest peak, that God still has the right people in my life for, or for a reason and for a season. Um, to get to to have gotten me through what I went through. And I can say that because of him, I am here today also, you know, with the courage to tell my story because he did encourage me to also come forward. He was there with me in every step of the way throughout the legal pursuit and even during the after, which was to me the most important was the after. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think, Cindy, this will inform you and your husband in terms of raising your three girls? I think that honestly, it's, it worked out for the better for us. Um, we live in a society now where it's almost becoming normal to hear about abuse, unfortunately. And I don't think it's, it should be something that should be normalized. Um, so with our daughters, we are very protective. We don't let them sleep over even at family members' homes. When it comes to schools, we ask questions. How is it that they hire their staff, their teachers? What background checks do they do? Um, as far as social media, they are not there yet, but I would like to think that the moment that my oldest starts having a social media account, I would like access to her accounts just to make sure that she's not being groomed by somebody else, either in a foreign country or somebody pretending to be a minor because it's so easy nowadays just to create a profile and pretend to be somebody that you're not online just to groom and manipulate children nowadays. Yeah. Yes. That is excellent. Um, very wise counsel and advice just to, to share with folks. And I think we have become so almost numb to social media and 
sort of the way that the world works right now. And it's not even um, from a stance of altruism or we believe the best in people. It's from a stance of almost, and laziness might be strong, but just normalcy. What you're saying, what you said was, I don't want this to be normalized. It is not a normal thing to do to anyone. And so why, why do we necessarily say, well, it's not going to happen in my house. It's not going to happen in my neck of the woods. And that's just not true. And so the second that we become sort of complacent and think that those things are not happening, then that is the moment where, as you have shared with us that, uh, you know, people go through things that should never happen. And so I just thank you for your wise counsel in that. I want to say your book, Living in Silence, Finding My Voice and Claiming My Freedom is, is out on November 16th, right? So coming up very quickly, very quickly. And just a few of um, the words of praise for the book says, we congratulate Cindy on the courage it took in breaking her silence. The bravery of those willing to come forward and tell of their sexual abuse should be equally matched by our commitment as a culture to hold those abusers accountable. And I think if I can say that is really what you want more than anything is for people to have some accountability and say, I was a part of this problem. I am a part of this problem and it cannot any longer, the direction cannot be in the opposite, right? You have to show up and, and hold people accountable for their actions and say, going forward, this is no longer going to be normalized. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine it says in living in silence, Cindy voices, the importance and urgency of seeking help, standing strong in your truth and setting yourself free, despite the occurrences and circumstances of your life. You know, these sort of accolades for the book, it's just, I imagine. And I, when I, again, when I read chapter one, I just kept thinking it's uncomfortable as a reader, but how much more was it as somebody who was living it? And I, I just, again, say thank you for sharing it and for bringing it to light and for being so truthful in your journey, which is, you know, I didn't grow up in, in faith necessarily. And I grew up in a feeling of this void from personal affection and connection and having not had the faculty and experience to go through it. This is what happened to you, but you were strong enough and yes, brave enough to say, don't let it happen to anybody else. I mean, that is really just, we're grateful that you're sharing with us today. Thank you, Beth. Oh, of course. Do you have any last, um, I guess, words of advice or wisdom in terms of healing or perhaps how to get through trauma. Cause obviously this is a traumatic experience. Just what, what you would like to leave our viewers and listeners with today. I would like to say that if you have experienced something similar, whether it be more or less, I would say that if you've never spoken about it, find somebody that you trust, if you feel safe and speak about it, because I've noticed that the more that you talk about it, the less it hurts the more that you feel that you're letting go of it. And if it is safe and if it is possible, you know, make a legal pursuit if that's the case for you. If it's not the case for you, I would say start therapy. There's nothing wrong with therapy. I believe that therapy is one of the things that will help you speak about it more freely and more comfortably and help you to understand that it is not your fault that you did not bring it upon yourself, that you are not alone, that there is a community out there that can help you, that there is help for you, that there is hope and that there are others like you out there. And if you are not somebody that has gone through the abuse 
I would say, be that ear for that person. Mm. Listen to them, be the ear, be the hug for them, be that person to comfort them, to, to be their safe space so that they know that they can come to you if they just want to talk about it, if they just want to let it out, because you might be the first person that they are actually telling. Wow. Yeah, it's very true. Everybody that's gone through this has to have the ability to tell the first person. Somebody is always going to be that first person. So incredible advice. Thank you so much. Cindy, where can people find you and your book? So my book is available for pre-order right now on Amazon. So if you go to amazon.com and you type in Living in Silence by Cindy Arvalo, it'll be one of the first ones to come up. You can also follow me on Instagram. You can type in underscore Cindy underscore Arvalo, and it'll also come up with my link to my book and some of the quotes that we post on a daily basis there. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you again so very much for showing up tonight and showing up in the world and sharing your journey with us, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Beth. Thank you as always for being here. Community, we're in it together. Thank you for showing up on this journey. Thank you for showing up consistently to see these remorselessly biblical episodes. Remorseless means without guilt, in spite of wrongdoing. You heard Cindy share that she felt guilty. She felt ashamed. She thought that it was her fault. So many of us get stuck on our journeys and get stuck and in silence, remain in silence as Cindy did for so many years because we think it's our fault, because we feel guilt and shame and we're so far from God because we think that he's ashamed of us. Not the story, you guys. We are forgiven. God sees us. He values us. He adores us. God loves us unconditionally. And as soon as you forgive yourself and as soon as you find your voice and you say, you know what? I was hurt. I made a mistake. I was abused. I didn't know better. Fill in those blanks with your own, your own story, and your own journey, and you will begin to heal as Cindy has done you will begin to heal too. You guys, I just am so grateful for you showing up every week with me here on this platform. Thank you to Life Network for Women. Thank you viewers for being you. Thank you for having your own stories, whether they are filled with grief and angst or blessings and privilege, but you know what? Probably both, probably both. If you live enough life, you guys. So just keep being in community, find your people, find those that you can trust, Give back, help others, be in scripture, be in the word, lean on Jesus. Thank you as always, you guys. Go to bethfisher.com if I can help in any way from a coaching perspective, public speaking perspective. I'm happy to show up in your corporations and your worlds and your book clubs, women's groups, whatever it is. I'm happy to do it. So I will see you guys next week. Thank you for being here. Peace.